Well, welcome everybody to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. I am Pastor Lucas Hillman, and I get to serve as the lead pastor at Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. This is a weekly podcast discussing theology, scripture, and ideas in the local church to help you flourish in Christ. Thanks for joining us. Well, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we are diving back into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, particularly uh, verses 17 through 26. Now, uh, on Sundays, we covered this section in four, rather, sorry, two different weeks. Uh, the section on the Lord's Supper, uh, we devoted four weeks to the teaching uh, of Paul concerning the Lord's table. And when it comes to the Lord's table, we tried to think of it in two different dimensions, if you will, two different ways, two different movements. One is a horizontal movement, which is what we'll cover in this podcast. The next is a vertical movement. Um, Now, communion, the Eucharist, Lord's table, Lord's supper um, will, uh, again, be very important for us as Christians because it does something. Um, and in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul will say, For as often as you eat the, this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what are we doing at the table or taking the elements as we do at Grace Christian Fellowship every single week or maybe at your church every um, so often? Uh, we proclaim the Lord's death. So this is a very important thing for us to cover, which is why we slowed down as a church and covered it for four weeks, although we could have probably did it in one, maybe two. Um, I wanted to make sure we get the pattern, uh, or rather the scope, of what's happening at the table because it is uh, within the Protestant church. It is a sacrament. We recognize two sacraments within the Protestant church, especially our church. Um, It is baptism, and the Lord's Supper, or as the Reformers will say, these are means of grace. Uh, Some people will say they're ordinances, some will say sacraments. I like the term sacrament simply because it comes from the word sacred, um, in that it is not an ordinary uh, meal that we partake in, or an ordinary thing that we are doing, because it's tied to the presence of Jesus Christ, as well as we are proclaiming something. Um, So uh, it's just a beautiful time that we get to do something as a corporate body, a corporate entity that has been brought together by Jesus uh, and proclaim together with with unity and in faith uh, that Jesus has died for us. So what's happening at the Lord's table? Why did it take four weeks for us to go through? Uh, Well, it's really important, and there's a lot we could cover. I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages for an in-depth treatment, because what we will do here is combine two messages really into one. But what's happening at the horizontal level of the Lord's table? And in 1 Corinthians 11 and 17, um, Paul says this, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, uh, because you when you come together, it's not for better, but for worse. And again, that is um, a jarring opening sentence, because if the Apostle Paul were to say that about us, it would be uh, really discouraging. He says, actually, it's worse if you get together, and it would be better if you just didn't meet, uh, because there is divisions. There, Rather, there are divisions. There are dissensions and disunity in the body. 
Um, and that's the that's one of the pressing things that's happening in the Corinthian church is divisions or, uh, again, disunity within the body. This place where uh, it was meant to be a symbol of, a, a, rather, a place where natural enemies uh, were able to come together, set aside differences, and worship the Messiah. Um, this place where outside of no you know the people inside would have no relation to each other they are from social economic backgrounds that are completely different either ethnic backgrounds racial backgrounds uh, again just familial cultural backgrounds that were completely different um, and if those things carry over into the church or as you know these little kingdom of God outposts called churches um, what difference is there um, this is part of the Lord's Supper, is that there is a horizontal movement to it, that it is meant to be a place where the divisions that operate so easily outside of the kingdom of God or the church um, are meant to be done away with. I mean, if Jesus came and died, forgave our sin, gave us a new identity, new purpose, uh, new passions. Um, I think it's 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 pro- appropriate to say that that reorients how we treat each other. We are no longer relating to one another as merely um, flesh. That's what first or set rather Second Corinthians would say. We no longer regard anybody according to the flesh, but we accord uh, we look at everybody as if they were made in the image of God and through the eyes of Christ. And one thing I've I've tried to belabor in these this particular message was one of the glories of Jesus um, is that his people can still love and honor one another despite any earthly difference. Um, now, again, there there are numerous things that can contribute to why we don't get along with people um, or why there is division. Now, even Paul will go so far to say that there must be division. There must be boundary markers. And that's what he'll say in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 19. He says, For there must be factions, divisions among you, in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. So again, it's not that we overlook any and all things like sin or again, uh, hurt, uh, betrayal, or anything like that. Um, the, the, rather, there are, when it comes to doctrine and practice, there ought to be divisions. Uh, so that Paul will say, well, we need to see that our faith is proving itself in work. Now, one of the ways that's working out in the Corinthian church and can in our church as well is that the earthly differences of, uh, again, to make it more practical to 1 Corinthians, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, I do believe that's a big factor here in, for, in Corinthians. If that's playing out in our church, where wealthy members uh, do not associate, talk to, pray with, serve alongside those who are not in the same tax bracket, um, that's a problem, uh, right? That's uh, that's an earthly difference. Wealth is an earthly difference, um, whether it be positions of power, influence, um, again, wealth, income, or just overall, you know, you know, I'm trying to think some churches will, will have cliques of people who are cool, right? They dress a certain way. They know what is culturally appropriate. Um, but Christianity historically has thrived when um, we put those things aside and we are able to welcome people, um, no longer on earthly differences, uh, but rather acknowledging the image of God in each person 
and pointing them to Christ, and we worship a, a common Savior. Um, Don Carson, again, will say that the church is made up of natural enemies, uh, and we, when we come together, it's because we've been saved by Christ, and we owe him a common allegiance. Uh, and they're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Now, again, why? how is that tied to the issue of communion? Well, because if Jesus has saved us, forgiven my sin, uh, forgiven my transgressions, my biases, my just, again, selfishness, um, then I can actually show up and say, because Jesus has loved me, I can get along with, honor, and even love people that really I would never naturally do. Jesus should never naturally love me, but he does uh, out of his abundant mercy and his grace. So when it comes to the horizontal movement of the church or even the Lord's table, um, recognizing, honoring, engaging with people who are not our natural go-tos, people we naturally affiliate with, people we naturally just like because they're smart, educated, can talk well, uh, are, you know, know about the same things we do. Um, if we only grab only gravitate towards people who are just like us, um, it's a failure of the church. I mean, again, although their boundary markers are are there, that faith in Christ is a boundary marker. Um, safety ought to be a boundary marker. Um, again, there are things that we can, in wisdom, kind of put in place that there must be some divisions. We can't just say, oh, you know, we like to have murderers here uh, and, and tell them, well, just do whatever you want. Um, no, like we want to keep ourselves uh, physically safe uh, as well, spiritually safe. So if there are false teachers or people who are trying to spread a false gospel, uh, there ought to be a boundary marker, uh, a a division in that. That's okay. Jesus did draw lines in the sand and say, this is good, this is bad. But when it comes to earthly distinctions, uh, or just socioeconomic in particular, it, we would be a more powerful Jesus-centered church, church if we are able to get past uh, mere flesh and uh, consider the Spirit of God at work in all people. Another dynamic of the Lord's table or communion Eucharist um, is really forgiveness. I mean, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what are we proclaiming? That Jesus died for what purpose? To forgive our sin. Um, And again, that is the power and the pattern of the Christian life, uh, is that we are caught up in this story uh, that Jesus, the Son of God, came towards us and that he forgave us like all of our sin towards God and people and has given us his righteousness, no longer counting them against us, um, but rather, as 2 Corinthians 5 will say, he didn't count our trespasses against us, but entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Jesus has reconciled, brought us back to relationship with God, and he's given us that same task. Right, and that is our really our mission as a church. Every church has the same mission, which is to tell the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel that God has acted definitively in Jesus and forgiven sin of all who believe. That's what we're doing, and that's what we're proclaiming at the Lord's table. So 
that translates to say every time we take communion, the Lord's table proclaiming his death, uh, we then are called to reenact the forgiving power and the pattern of forgiveness of Christ. And again, this is a, a heavy, heavy thing, right? Whereas maybe a sermon is, um, again, penetrating our heart in a, in a spiritual way, the Word of God proclaimed, changing our affections, changing maybe our opinions or our viewpoint on certain topics. The Lord's table is, is really much more practical because it is meant to be a physical symbol of unity within the church. And how does unity go forward? What What is the kind of like flesh and bone, rubber meets the road of unity? It is forgiveness. It is the willing choice of a person not to hold against another person, even, you know, the, the justice that might be due to them, even if they deserve it. That's grace. That's mercy. That's kindness. That's, that's love. Um, this is the pattern and the power of Jesus in the Christian life, right? And when we say forgiveness, what we mean is the uh, again the the way in which we with we forego even our right to bring justice upon somebody. Um, now, again, I want to make a distinction here. Um, forgiveness is not submitting to further abuse or mistreatment. Um, often forgiveness is not instant, and need, it often, more often than not, needs to unfold over time um, and in community. Forgiveness is not about our need to feel better. Now, that was a point I made in, our, in, in this sermon, was that if we are going to take the Lord's Supper, forgive those around us. Um, it is not about trying to just appease our conscience to say, I just don't want to be angry. It's The goal of forgiveness is relationship to some degree. Um, it is trying to reestablish relationship. Um, and so if we are going to forgive, it's not about us, it's about the other person, the love of neighbor. And again, this is what Jesus does. Jesus does not forgive us because he just doesn't want to be angry with us. Jesus forgives us because he genuinely wants to be in close relationship with us. And that's what the Lord's table is getting at inside the church, is that we, we, we are meant to embody that. We are meant to retell that story over and over again, that we have been forgiven, so therefore we ought to forgive and when it comes to the issue of we might have the right to be angry, we might have the right to do distance ourselves, we might have the right uh, to to hold on to unforgiveness. Um, and again, that there's wisdom to be had in the timing and the way in which forgiveness itself unfolds. But as one scholar will say, woe to us if we stand upon our rights and expect G and just we expect justice for others when God has shown us mercy. When it comes to, again, sins against us that, again, affect our ego, affect our emotional life, uh, whatever it is, it's not physical, it's, it's, it's smaller than that. Um, there are times in which people say things within the church that are just inconsiderate. Um, they didn't take my story into account. I don't take their story into account. And I might make an opinion, an assertion that just kind of discounts where they are. Um, where what God has has them going through, um, can we just 
agree that Jesus has forgiven us in our immaturity um, and that we ought not stand on our rights, uh, but rather put our rights aside um, and, and show mercy just like Jesus did. Now, that is impossible in and of ourselves. That is impossible. We need somebody to tell us what to do, how to do it. Uh, and that's Jesus Christ. He told us to forgive, and he gives us the power to do it by his Holy Spirit and his example of the cross, his life and death for us. And that's the pattern as well. This motivation to forgive flows from Christ. Colossians 3.13 will say, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, we forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. You also must forgive. Ephesians 4.32 will all say, be, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, that again, that might sound lofty, might sound impossible because of the circumstance you are facing. Let forgiveness take time. It does not need to be instant. But again, consider what would it mean to release someone from our justice and turn them over to God's Holy Spirit and say, I no longer am going to try to uh, enact my own justice, but allow I'm going to leave room for the justice of God in your life if you choose not to repent or just, again, um, not consider me in return. Again, forgiveness is a divine act. Um, and I do believe that is we need the power of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus Christ. If we are going to genuinely forgive anybody, for big or small, um, it is not natural to us. We need Jesus' help. And when it comes to the church, a flourishing church or a flourishing community is not one that's free from conflict. That won't exist this side of glory. Rather, a flourishing church is one where Christians value really try to embody Jesus's pattern of life, and that's forgiving one another as he has forgiven us. Man, that is a really hard thing because all that we have from God has been sheer grace. It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited, and it's offensive if we think about it. Why would God desire to have people like me in his kingdom, uh, although I just constantly seem to abuse his grace although sometimes I really try not to. Um, but God still forgives. His, his grace is greater than my sin will ever be. And if that's true of you, as I, I hope it is, right, I, I would imagine we may we have the power, the motivation, the pattern to, to extend what God has given us to those around us. And this is, again, going back to the Lord's Supper to wrap it up. This is what we proclaim when we take the elements. This is what's happening inside the church, um, is that we would release our brothers and our sisters um, from our justice and release them into God's hands uh, and that he would restore us to each other as the Lord's death has secured us, as he has forgiven us, put us into community, uh, again, so on and so forth. This is what life with Jesus is like, that God has forgiven us so that we would be able to model, share in that work that he's done. 
So as we think about communion, the Lord's Supper, and again, the last challenging thing is when Jesus talks about offering our worship uh, to God, and one, and, the, and indeed the Lord's table is an act of worship, um, horizontally, if we know that we have offended somebody or that they ha- are holding an offense against us, man, Jesus really challenges us and says, leave your gifts, go to your brother, be reconciled before that. Um, the, the, the love that we will share with our fellow brothers and sisters is of the utmost importance in the eyes of Christ, so much so that he'll say, before you even worship, you must do what is necessary to be reconciled. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Come back with a light heart, a clear conscience, and that you would be able to worship God without thinking, uh, being weighed down by bitterness or unforgiveness. God help us. Um, That is, again, a divine act that is really, really hard. So may the Spirit of God grant you a new understanding of the Lord's death, of what he forgave in us, and that we would learn to forgive one another, release one another, live in a state of mercy and grace towards one another. So may God bless us as we journey on in this act of taking the Lord's table and showing Jesus' power and pattern of forgiveness. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, a ministry of Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. You can visit our website and find out more about our church at gracechristian.com. As well, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube.